three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Today is Friday, January 19, 2024, a new podcast. I am Crash Connell, and if you are flipping channels, never heard of Stand Up For The Truth before, and you're in the body of Christ, you're going to have an exciting show to listen to. So hang on for that. Mary Danielson is here. Mm, I am, and good morning to everyone on this rather chilly January day. I am so blessed today to welcome back Holly Pivik and the importance of her in-depth research and understanding of the NAR, we call it NAR, or New Apostolic Reformation. Now, New Apostolic gets my attention out of the gate, but Reformation, what's the Reformation portion? So we're going to ask that and so much more here. It's been uh, several months since we've spoken to Holly, and she's since released a new book with co-author Doug Guyvett entitled Reckless Christianity, The Destructive New Teachings and Practices of Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, and the Global Movement of Apostles and Prophets. And yes, that's a mouthful, but you'll understand so much more as we go along. So I'm going to share a a brief a scripture this morning. It's a short one, but it's one that the church often overlooks. And it's 1 John 4, 1. And it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So uh, a short uh, exhortation command from the scripture this morning. So would you pray with me today? Oh, Lord, you are the good shepherd. We are the people of your pasture the flock under your constant loving care. Help us to grow closer to you day by day through your sure word and in communion with you, uh, Lord, so that we can continually discern what is of you and what is not. And Lord, your loving kindness is better than life itself. And if there is anything good, we know that it comes from you and you never change. So help us to increasingly rely on you and your goodness in this age of encroaching darkness. Uh, so we give you our lives afresh and ask that you guide and direct us in even the smallest detail. Thank you for Holly and her labors for the kingdom. We ask for good health for her, for protection, both physically and protection from the enemy of our souls. Bless her family as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, I have Holly Pivik back today. It's been several months. She's a blogger, author, and speaker, pastor's wife, homeschooling mom. She has a master's degree in apologetics from Biola University. She also served there as university editor for nearly a decade. In fact, she started studying apologetics back in high school. She's co-authored two books, A New Apostolic Reformation and Counterfeit Kingdom, which thoroughly exposed the dangerous practices of the NAR. This movement had, uh, used to live on the fringes of the church, but not so much anymore. It's mainstream. A lot of people are being influenced by it, unaware uh, through various doors, front and back. Um, the book is a wake-up call, and we need all those that we can get. Her latest, Reckless Christianity, which I mentioned in the opening comments, um, is, is sure to be fantastic. And you can find her at hollypivik.com. And that'll help us ramp up our discernment. So, Holly, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you, Mary. It's so good to be back. Catch us up with your ministry and what's new with you. I know you're a busy lady. What can people find on the website and, and what what have you been doing? We haven't talked since May. Yeah, well, like you mentioned, we have our, our new book that just came out, Reckless Christianity. So 
that's been <laughs> keeping us really busy and, um, you know, blogging over at hollypivot.com, um, where we, we post new articles of, you know, current things related to this movement. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, I'm also a homeschooling mom. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kept really busy, uh, homeschooling my children as well. Yes. yes fantastic. Good for you. I mean, we, We've got to just uh, occupy till he comes, and that takes a lot of different forms for a lot of us. But uh, uh, let's just jump in, because some of the listeners know what NAR or NAR is, and some may, this may be new to them. So what can you give us a definition? Yeah, NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, is a global movement that's taking over churches, um, including you know many churches here in the United States and throughout the world, um, it's led by individuals who claim to be modern apostles and prophets. So like the biblical, you know, Old Testament prophets, like Christ apostles, and they claim that they're giving critical new revelation that the church today needs to rise up and take dominion of society and bring God's kingdom to earth. So they claim like they have these strategies that God is revealing to them that are these keys to bring heaven to earth and for all Christians, every Christian to learn how to work miracles like prophesying, healing the sick, raising the dead, in order to rise up as this miracle-working army that will allegedly bring God's kingdom to earth. And and what they really claim is that apostles and prophets were always supposed to govern the church, so not pastors or elders hmm. like most churches today, but they claim that apostles and prophets have been missing for the past couple thousand years and that they are now being restored through this movement. And so that pastors and all other Christians are supposed to submit to their authority. And and really, those who don't submit to their authority are outside of God's will, and they won't receive the the blessings from God that, that come from being submitted to apostles mm. and prophets. So blessings like physical healing, pros- financial prosperity, and just the privilege of participating in God's plans to bring His kingdom to the earth. So anyone who isn't submitted to them will, will be sitting out, you know, on the sidelines as mere spectators while while the people who are part of this movement will be the ones that are unfolding God's end-time plans. Wow. Wow, that's very, very heavy. I mean, I I just think, um, because there are other groups, there are Pentecostals and Charismatics, and and I think you've defined what sets them apart is that government structure by apostles and prophets. But now I want to talk to you about the, the authority that they are claiming to have when you really think it through, and some of the problems there, I mean, presuming on God... Um, that this is true, that this is the authority that's been set up, and presuming on God um, for miracles, uh, what, what part does miracles have in this? Because um, if they feel that, that that will be, do they feel, let me, let me put it this way, do they feel that that will be the number one uh, manifestation that you are with them or you are on the right side? Or where, where do miracles fit into this church? Yeah, miracles are very crucial in this movement. Um, and, you know, with Pentecostals and Charismatics, um, you know, they they believe that uh, the miraculous gifts are for today, of course, like speaking in tongues, prophesying, healing the sick. But um, they have not believed that every Christian can have all of these miraculous gifts. Mm. And they have not believed that, that the way you acquire these gifts is through taking part in what in NARA is called activation exercises. Um, and so Pentecostals and Charismatics historically would say that, that God gives the gifts of the Holy Spirit to individuals as he alone decides. That's what we're taught in 1 Corinthians and in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 
And, um, but in this movement, they would say every Christian can have every gift. And in fact, they should, every Christian should be healing the sick, raising the dead. If you're not, you're really being disobedient to Christ if you're not seeking to do those things. Because the only way God's kingdom can be brought to earth is if all Christians, if there's this army of Christians that are activated, as, a, as in our buzzword, in the miraculous, um, where they're working these miracles and seeking to do so daily on a, on a regular basis. Um, and so, so these miraculous powers are crucial for bringing God's kingdom to earth, along with their, their um, spiritual warfare practices as well. They believe that, that Christians should be engaging in, in seeking to cast out these high-ranking demons, they would say, are ruling over the societal institutions like um, media and government and, um, you know, the church and all these institutions that Christians need to rise up over these institutions and um, cast out these high-ranking demons that are allegedly ruling over these institutions so that, that the apostles can lead these institutions and bring God's kingdom to earth through them. Mm. Wow. Now you have in the book, I'm, I'm in counterfeit kingdom here, um, problems and dangers of this movement and the healing practices specifically. Uh, and it says here in the book, uh, NAR healing practices pose many problems and dangers. It is highly presumptuous to expect God to provide healing on demand. Uh, and no matter what the venue is, a healing room or whatever, these teachings presume to know the will of God for all who suffer infirmities. I mean, that's big because God works in each of our lives differently, and he has something that he is working in us, an eternal weight of glory that he is working in us. And it says, it goes on to say, the practices themselves border on manipulation of God, expecting God to play parlor games. And like you said, not everyone gets healed. So which is it? They seem to want to have it both ways. Everyone will get healed. If, if you're with us, you will heal people. Um, and then the, expecting God. I'm, I'm not seeing um, any fear of the Lord here. And also, what about the victim here? Um, and I've heard this in Name It and Claim It churches. If you don't get healed, then you have a lack of faith. This is very destructive. Uh, what do you say about that, Holly? Yeah, it is very destructive. Um, uh, one of the teachings that the Nar apostles and prophets claim, that the new truth they would say that they're giving to the church or, or, or what they might say is actually a lost truth that the early Christians allegedly had and then lost is the is the idea that it is always God's will to heal everyone. Um, mm. There are no exceptions, mm. and so um, this and so what happens is people in this movement believe that they need to uh, acquire the ability to heal, and if they have loved ones who are sick or friends who are sick, they should be able to heal that person. Mm. Um, and if they if they can't heal that person, then or, or if the person uh, who is sick can't isn't healed then then they blame themselves and because they they're thinking oh there's something some new truth i need to learn something i'm missing that i need to to get from the apostles and prophets uh, um in order to to be able to heal and so this has caused so much heartache um you know obviously in this movement because because we know that god does not always heal um and not in this life and so um, this is one of the, the really uh, destructive teachings in this movement that has led to real disillusionment um, with Christianity. Many, many believers, you know, won't, won't be healed or they see their loved one die, uh, sadly. Uh, like I, I saw in my own family, a, a loved one who died while clinging to the promises of apostles. 
mm. on profits that th- that this person would be healed all the way to their deathbed. And mm. and many people have seen that, and then they grow disillusioned with the faith. They think that that um, God has lied to them, or the Bible is false, and you know they falsely attribute those teachings to the Bible because the Bible doesn't teach that that God will always heal. Um, but then they end up walking away completely from the church, mm-hmm. uh, sadly, sometimes from the Christian faith, um, and mm. and never coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very sad. And now th- there's a history here, right, Holly? I mean, this didn't just come out of nowhere. I remember back in the 80s, we were listening to uh, the Kansas City Prophets and wondering, wow, what is this? Mike Bickle, Bob Jones, uh, Paul Kane, they influenced John Wimber. So this has been going on, and even before that, I'm guessing the Latter Rain Movement, that sort of thing. So I'm not real surprised we're here, except this is a lot bigger. I see here, I think this is the number that you guys give is 3.5 million attendees at NAR churches. That's a lot of people. And do you, right. do you consider it, it's not really a denomination, is it? What is it? Is it parachurch? Is it, um, because people are, they're influencing, and we'll talk about the music and we'll talk about other things, but they're influencing a lot of churches in a lot of ways. Is it a denomination or how would you label it? Right. No, it's not a denomination, and NAR is not a single organizational entity. Okay. It's not, people don't, um, you know, one thing people will often say is, well, I, I can't be part of NAR because I haven't joined an organization named NAR, but there mm-hmm. is no single organization named NAR. Okay. What it is is it's a movement of churches, of organizations, um, of of leaders who have adopted uh, these beliefs, especially the belief about apostles and prophets that they're supposed to govern the church, but there's a lot of related beliefs and practices that go along with that. And um, so they they often do it intentionally network with one another, um, but it's not like you have a card, a membership card, in the New Apostolic Reformation. So a lot of people who are part of this movement won't even know they're a part of this movement. Wow. And if you if you tell them, you know, I'm concerned for you because you're part of this movement called the New Apostolic Reformation, what they'll say is, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not part of any movement, I'm, and I've never even heard of NAR. Um, and even many of the leaders in this movement will deny that they're part of the New Apostolic Reformation. And a lot of that is because they don't want to be associated with uh, a controversial movement uh, that, you know, many people are now alert to the dangers of this movement, and they don't want to be associated with that. So so they'll deny they're part of it, even though they do hold to the core teachings. Interesting. I, I aim to interject a name here. Michael Brown. Now, I see him being quoted on social media for various reasons on various subjects. Um, and some of what he's really good is understand who he is. And you have an article that I was over slides like this. Over several decades, the Christian Brown has, Michael has fashioned a narrative with himself, charismatics and Pentecostals. And for us was his reputation with quite a bit. But that narrative is all about Michael Brown, who he is and how it's best to distance from him. Yeah, so Michael Brown is is well known for being a Christian radio host, um, identifies as a, a charismatic, uh, self-identifies as a charismatic leader, but he has become the most high-profile of our leaders today. And so, and so um, um, he, and, and he and leader Bill Johnson, an apostle at Bethel Church in Reading, Bremen and Cynthia produced the very uh, distorted and dangerous uh, passion translation of the Bible. Michael mm. Brown defends him. Um, Sid Roth, who has the uh, it's Supernatural television program that features a lot of the uh, leaders in the NAR movement, 
Um, a lot of a lot, Cheon, one of the most influential apostles today. Michael Brown is friends with. He says he's friends with, and he he defends a lot of these individuals. And what he actually has even said is, he said that the NAR movement um, does not exist. Um, mm. He will he will admit that there was something that C. Peter Wagner. He he's the person who came up with the term NAR, the apostle who came up mm. with the term NAR, since passed away. But he will admit that there there was. There was something that C. Peter Wagner led, and a few people were associated with him that was called the New Apostolic Reformation. But he denies that there is this influential global movement today um, in the way that critics such as Doug and myself and many others uh, have identified NAR, this dangerous movement. He says it doesn't exist, that this is a conspiracy theory that um that you know we're we're just we're just talking uh like like something like the illuminati or something like mm-hmm. that just a conspiracy theory um and um but but really um he because of this uh because of his defense of these leaders um and his vigorous defense of these leaders and his claims that this movement doesn't exist and kind of downplaying the the teachings and the dangers of this movement, he's really become um, really the, the foremost apologist for the NAR movement today. And so uh, we wrote this article, Doug and I wrote this article to kind of alert people to um, the fact that, that Michael Brown, even though he presents himself as a mainstream uh, charismatic and voice for mainstream charismatics and mainstream Pentecostals, he really is not that um, because he's promoting and promoting this NAR movement and defending this NAR movement. He's really defending very extreme um, teachings and practices that are not mainstream Pentecostal or mainstream uh, charismatic teachings. Mm, wow. I really encourage people to stay away from him. And I, I know like people pick and choose what they want to believe, even about someone, but it does color everything that they say and everything that they believe. So I would strongly suggest people stay away from Michael Brown's teachings. And also I want to ask you, Holly, what are some of the n- names we would recognize in NAR? Um, I know, and then the other side of that question, I guess, would be the Seven Mountain Mandate, that sort of thing. Is that all wrapped up in NAR? And what are some of the names that people might recognize that really are at the forefront um, of this movement or have been for several years now? Right. Of course, I've already mentioned, you know, Bethel Church in Redding, California is okay. the most influential church in the movement. That's why our latest book, Reckless Christianity, focuses um, specifically on that church. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of the leaders out of Bethel, there's a number of leaders. Chris Ballatin is the chief oh, yeah. apostle okay. at Bethel Church. We're, apostles and prophets work in tandem generally, so Bill Johnson and Chief Ballatin have teamed up as an apostle-prophet team. Um, but you have uh, Jesus Culture in okay. Sacramento, California. It's a church that came out of Bethel Reading, and, of course, their music, like Bethel music, is very popular, being used in, in churches throughout the world. Um then you have Mike Bickle at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri. Right yes. now, those those of your listeners who know or might not know, he's embroiled in, in a, a scandal there at the International House of Prayer um, with allegations of, of that he sexually abused and exploited women um, over his, his time at the International House of Prayer. Um, Cindy Jacobs is a leading okay. prophet in this movement. Lou Engel, uh, he's led the call events, uh, where at stadiums, he would fill up stadiums, um, throughout the United States with, uh, for, for prayer and fasting rallies. 
um, Sean Foyt. Um, many people oh. may have heard of him because he's been going around leading prayer gatherings in cities throughout the United States, even Washington, D.C. Um, what a lot of people don't know with Sean Foyt is they'll take part in his gatherings and they'll think that they're just, you know, gathering to pray for revival for the United States. Um, but really, uh, he is actually promoting spiritual, uh, NAR spiritual warfare practices and, and teachings, uh, through his meetings. And he came out of Bethel Church. Many people don't know that. Um, so those are some, but there, so there are these nationally known apostles and prophets that are nationally or even globally influential. Heidi Baker is another one, Mm. um, uh, NAR leader. But in addition to these nationally known leaders, you also have every city and town in America, um, will have its own local apostles and prophets who, who people may not know outside of that region may, may not know of them outside of that region, but they are known within that region. And so what you'll often have is like a church, for example, will join an apostolic network. Um, for example, Cheon has an apostolic network. He's an, a major apostle in this movement based in Pasadena, California, but his network encompasses uh, tens of thousands of churches throughout the world, um, and they all look to him as their apostle. And so often churches will join an apostolic network, and that's how they submit themselves to a authority of an apostle or prophet and their church will give money to that network and then they'll look to the leader of that network as their apostle. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Very complicated. Um, uh, Holly, before we uh, go on to your book, I do want to talk about your new book at, because it's a lot about Bethel and I think people need to understand what that's about. I want to ask you one more quick question before we get there and that is this Asbury revival and, and, uh, I feel that a lot of the NAR focus not just on miracles but on revival as well and miracles that will accompany that and social media just lit up about Asbury. I think that was about a year ago now and people were all over the place about whether or not it was real. Or is this just a bunch of college kids looking for a few weeks off? So things kind of swung pretty widely in either direction. What are your thoughts on that? Um, and I, I think that this sort of thing is going to continue to pop up here and there. But how can we be discerning about what is called a revival versus what a genuine revival would be? Right. So, of course, there was a lot of debate about, like you said, whether what happened in Asbury was genuine revival or not. And uh, Doug and I wrote an article, and we were not saying, when we wrote the article, we were not saying that the Asbury revival was a NAR revival, mm-hmm. um, you know, from start to finish, uh, because Asbury is of the Wesleyan holy, holiness tradition. It's okay. not a NAR institution. But what we did suggest in that article, that the NAR influence at that, that revival was significant, and that that was a cause for concern. Um, and so... Um, you know, we gave examples in the article on my blog. It's titled NAR and the Asbury Revival, Why We Should Be Concerned. People can read that at hollypivic.com. Um, but we talked about um, some of the messages given at the revival, some of the leaders associated with the revival um, were part of the NAR movement. And, um, and so what we were really doing in writing this article is encouraging people to be very discerning and realize when they take part in any event, uh, like like with the Sean Foy events or any revival event, to be very alert to the fact that NAR leaders um, will often seek to kind of co-opt these revivals. And it, it could be a revival that doesn't have anything to do with NAR, but then these leaders seek to move in and um, exert their influence and sneak in the NAR teachings and practices. 
or oftentimes these revivals are actually led by NAR leaders, like like Sean Foyt's uh, revival events, and um, or, or Lou Ingalls' the call at stadium events, and and they're actually led by NAR leaders, and and Christians who are not aware will take part in these revival events and not realize that that they're led by NAR leaders. Even in local cities, um, NAR leaders will often try to get pastors in a city or a town to partner with them for a, a so-called revival event, and the pastors of other churches that have nothing to do with NAR will not realize that they're being asked to get their church to partner with a NAR revival and that NAR practices and teachings are being promoted at these revivals. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it, the article is really just a call for people to be very discerning um, and to realize, uh, you know, that, that they need to be, become better informed about NAR so they can spot signs of NAR influence when they show up, mm-hmm. whether at Asbury or anywhere else, and, and realize that revival is a special point of vulnerability because NAR leaders um, will exploit uh, revival to promote their teachings mm-hmm. and practices. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, and that's good. And I think the fruit, you can't really necessarily even tell within a week or two weeks or whatever, hopefully the word is being preached and there would be lasting fruit, I think people wanted to make a decision right away. Yes, this is of the Lord. No, this is not of the Lord. I don't think that's even possible. But we have to test the spirits, as as our verse said at the beginning. We have to see if this is all about emotion or what exactly, and who who has rushed in to the scene to to continue. Right, Holly? There's just so much to look at when it comes to this sort of thing, and and we want to be careful not to be deceived by that. So I want to discuss your latest book, Reckless Christianity, and how it differs uh, from the other books about NAR. Um, Why why did you choose to focus on Bethel and Bill Johnson? I think you alluded to that already, that they, um, that is the current biggest manifestation of NAR right now is Bethel Church. So, um, why why did you decide otherwise? Do you have any other reasons for focusing specifically on Bethel? Yeah, so so Bethel is the most influential NAR church in the world. Um, its its teachings and practices have literally transformed modern Christian practice um, and and worship um, and teaching. Um, it's you know Bethel has introduced the concept that this church is supposed to quote unquote bring heaven to earth uh, through a misinterpretation and a misapplication of of the Lord's prayer that we see in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke um, and um, so so reckless Christianity focuses especially on the theology of Bill Johnson and Bethel Church. It's intended for those who want to take a deep dive into Bethel's teachings. It's heavily documented. Has a detailed index, so readers can easily locate specific topics that might interest them, and it answers questions that are not addressed by our previous books. So our previous book, Counterfeit Kingdom, focused especially on the practices. Reckless Christianity focused really on the theology of Bill Johnson. Counterfeit Kingdom focuses especially on the practices of Bethel and and NAR more broadly. So that's the concrete ways it's showing up in churches, ministries, and music. That's that's. Uh, a book that um, is really intended uh, if if for someone that just wants to learn about NAR, uh, has a loved one that is caught up in NAR and they're concerned and want to learn more, Counterfeit Kingdom is really a good place to start, but Reckless Christianity then takes a real deep dive into the teachings, uh, the teaching that goes even deeper. Now, we do have two other books. We've written four books total. Um, we also have a book called A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. 
and that addresses NAR more broadly, and it goes more in depth into um, into NAR and Counterfeit Kingdom uh, for people who want to take a deep dive. And then God's Super Apostles is a is a condensed, easier to read, um, more popular level version of a New Apostolic Reformation. So we have four books that 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 Doug and I, Doug's a professor of philosophy at Biola University, that that we wrote together. Um, but um, as far as our focus on Bethel. Um, you know, they have practices like Sozo, it's called S-O-Z-O. It's an inner healing and deliverance ministry. Sozo ministries that, that were popularized by Bethel are popping up in churches throughout the nation, around the world. Bethel music is used in churches, uh, throughout, mm-hmm. throughout the nation. And people might say, well, well, what's the concern about that? Mm-hmm. The concern is that, that NAR teachings are actually laced through Bethel yeah. music mm-hmm. and other NAR music, like from Jesus Culture. Um, and people don't, realize it if they don't know the buzzwords if they don't know nar theology they could be singing along with the songs and not even realizing they're singing about nar teachings and practices because they don't know the buzzwords yeah um and so we have a whole chapter in our book counterfeit kingdom called toxic worship music where we explain the dangers of churches using nar music in their services well holly we have to take a break um we'll be we'll be back in two minutes but i want to talk about that when we come back who is bill johnson i want to talk about the music which i call the gateway drug into bethel um and some of the concerning teachings things that have happened very strange things that have taken place over there i've watched it from afar over the last several years and there are some very alarming things and concerning things and you had also paid a visit to bethel so we definitely want to hear about that and uh, so many different things uh, that we can talk about. So we're talking to Holly Pivik, hollypivik.com. We're talking about NAR, the new apostolic reformation, and we will be back shortly. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for January the 19th. We're speaking to Holly Pivik today, hollypivik.com. Very, very knowledgeable about the new apostolic reformation or what we are calling NAR. Uh, she has written books with Doug Guyvett and especially the latest one. There are four books total. The latest one is Reckless Christianity, The Destructive New Teachings and Practices of Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, and the Global Movement of Apostles and Prophets. That's a mouthful, but we're starting to get a feel for what that exactly means. Um, reckless Christianity. And in the preface of this book, uh, you and Doug discussed something that I have to bring up here. Because what people say about this movement, they seem to think that God is doing a great work there. Okay. And that alone needs defining. But wait, there's more. There's something so double-minded about, I don't agree with everything they teach, but God is clearly doing a work there. So what I would ask is, people, why do you think that God is doing a work there? You know, make a list, show your work. If you have red flags, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. But how can they say, Holly, that people like or appreciate or attribute something to God that they haven't done any research on? And how do they know to say that? So help us out with this uh, rather confusing statement. Yeah, we hear all the time from people, um, you know, God is, I don't agree with everything the Bethel teaches, but it's clear that God is doing a work there. And, um, and they, but, um, they'll they'll say things like, uh, you know, I want to visit Bethel, and and um, and we even though we hear this all the time, they often don't say what they find disagreeable with Bethel's mm-hmm. teachings, and that's interesting. And we wonder what convinces them that God is doing a work at Bethel Church, 
And it's what it is is there's this mythology that has developed around Bethel and other Nara churches that miracles are happening all the time there. They're happening regularly, daily, um, and so people will flock to the church for a miracle of healing. They'll travel from across the, the world because they're desperate for healing, and they, they're hoping that they'll get their healing when they come to Bethel. And um, and it's like this mythology has developed, but there's not evidence to back up this mythology that these miracles are happening all the time. Mm. Um, and and then the other thing is that there's these aberrant teachings and by aberrant, um, what I mean is that there are very dangerous teachings that are being promoted by Bethel and other NAR churches about apostles and prophets, about everyone being supposed to submit to them. That is always God's will to heal. These kind of teachings that are very dangerous and destructive. Uh, but then the people that are saying that, well, it's, it seems like God is doing a great work there. It's like you wonder, do they know what Bethel's really teaching? Do they know what these NAR churches are really teaching? you know, uh, and, and the crazy practices that have been going on, like grave soaking, which maybe we'll talk about later. You mentioned we'll talk about some practices later. Um, or, or uh, what's essentially tarot card reading, these occultic practices that are, that are going on and being promoted by these churches. Um, so, so like you say, it's really double-minded. On the one hand, it's like, well, God is doing a great work there. And on the other hand, there's these very dangerous teachings and practices that are, that it's hard to reconcile with the idea that, that God is working yeah. through these churches in yeah. that way. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Holly, you, uh, as we were going into the break, you were talking about the, uh, the theology that is in their songs. And I want to make sure that we uh, make that really clear because we're also a Christian music station and we don't play that music. But when we are trying to explain to people when they're saying, yeah, but I'm being blessed by the songs, there's nothing wrong with their songs. And they're sneaking in the uh, NAR theology very subtly in these songs. I want to make sure that we uh, that you, uh, you, you, you make that real clear to our listeners. Yeah. And what the, maybe you do you have a song example? I can't think of any well, from the top of my head. Yeah, so first I'll say that that the leaders in NAR have been very they've been very open that they see the music as a, a means of a spreading NAR teachings and practices, their teachings and practices. For example, the Apostle Bill Johnson, we, we quote him in our book, in our chapter Toxic Worship Music in, in our book Counterfeit Kingdom. He says music bypasses all of the intellectual barriers and when the anointing of God is on a song people will begin to believe things they wouldn't believe through teaching. And and elsewhere, uh, he also says that he actually sees Bethel music and the music of Jesus culture as tools to spread uh, their, the NAR teachings and practices to churches. And so they've been very open about that. And um, the music, as, as I mentioned before the break, is, is actually laced with NAR theology and buzzwords um, but unless you understand the theology, you you won't see it. And um, and so um, and, and one thing I'll say is is in NAR there's this idea that songs can have anointings on them, and um, like some kind of you know uh, like like divine anointing on them. And and the way people know if a song has anointing on it is it how it makes them feel. A lot of people will say the reason they're drawn to Bethel music or, or uh, Hillsong music 
or other NAR music is because it of the way it makes them feel mm-hmm. when they listen to the music and that the, they don't get that same feeling when they listen to other kinds of music. But the problem is, uh, you know, feelings alone can deceive us. And um, and as Bill Johnson himself said, uh, they can be it, the emotional power of music. It, it can exploit us if we're not careful. And we can begin to believe things we wouldn't normally believe um, through just teaching. And, and that's something that, that NARA leaders are seeking to exploit. And so... Um, and so there are songs that we'll talk about. Thing we give specific examples in our book of of NAR songs that are, are laced with NAR theology, but uh, there'll be references to things like the open heavens. And a lot of people don't realize that open heavens is a reference to the idea that there's certain places in the world, certain cities or churches that are under an open heaven. And if it's under an open heaven, then people will in that place will receive new revelation from God and have encounters with God visits from angels, things like that, um, if they're under an open heaven. Or, or NAR music will reference the greater the greater works or the greater things. Well, this is a NAR teaching that people who follow the apostles and prophets will be able to work greater miracles than even Jesus worked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's these kind of NAR buzzwords that are NAR music. There's songs that will talk as if resurrections from the dead are happening all the time. Um, and miracles are happening all the time, and that's an that's an assumption that comes through in the music. Um, and it's not that that we don't believe that miracles happen today, or that God can do miracles. Of course, we believe that all Christians believe that God can and and does do miracles. But in our they they present miracles as as happening nor all the time, and and it's in churches that are led by apostles and prophets, and that everyone can become a miracle worker. So they have these these harmful teachings, aberrant, unbiblical teachings about miracles mm-hmm. that they promote that's of concern. Um, and so so it's in our chapter on toxic worship music, we go through and we explain the dangers of um, churches using this in our music because people have told us that, uh, many people have told us that what drew them into NAR first was the music. They listened to Bethel sure. music or Jesus culture, and they loved the music, and then they decided to research the church, and then the next thing you know, they attend a conference, and, and then they move to Bethel Reading so they can be part of the church. And so the music really is a gateway drug into the NAR movement. Yeah, gateway drug is, is how I have it in my notes Well, here. it's their whole concert experiences with the, uh, with the snowflakes and all of the things that are falling from the sky, the lights, uh, everything. And like you said, even at, uh, I know at the Hillsong concerts years ago, they were even passing out the Hillsong books and the uh, Passion Translations and things like that. And even some of the songs uh, had a, an underlying sexual content in it, like there was some kind of, well, we could have some kind of sexual relationship it, with, with, with our maker. Uh, I'm talking about the Hillsong songs. Some of them are more blatant than you yeah. can listen to, but I wanted to make sure that we got that out there. Yeah, yeah, and I have an example here because I know the book gives an example um, from Bethel Music is the song Be Lifted High. And there are probably other songs that have that sentiment in there. But it says, it's, uh, in your book, it says, it speaks of our generation as the one that will be calling down the reign of heaven. And so, you know, you think, well, people might listen to the first couple words or the title and say, what could possibly be wrong with that? Are we supposed to long for God's kingdom to come? Right? But that's not what this is here. This has to do with dominion theology, um, getting uh, 
everything just perfect so Jesus can return. And so even if you know of another song, uh, we're, we're urging caution because be lifted high. Lord, we lift you up. Sure, we lift your name on high, but don't suspend your brain as Bill Johnson is counting on you to do. Listen to the rest of the song and the refrain and try and be discerning even if the music is soaring, you know, and, and it has all the right elements of the music itself. So that was just one uh, one that you have here in the book, another song, One Thirst, I think you mentioned that. Um, and so, yes, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Crash. Um, other Other teachings, this one really alarmed me, Holly, that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity and he could not do miracles. In other words, he relied on the Father to do the miracles through him, and every person will be healed, of course. That's an empty promise, and we've covered that. What are some of the other concerning teachings and practices at Bethel? I think you've mentioned a couple. Are there any more that come to mind? Yeah, so, um, you know, at Bethel, they've had prophets stand on the stage, so-called prophets, and claim to receive communication from deceased uh, Christians um, or deceased prophets that are giving revelation for the people in the audience. Um, so, you know, we talk about in our book, Counterfeit Kingdom, about um, occultic practices that are being introduced into churches through Bethel and through the NAR movement. The idea of communicating with deceased Christians and how this it doesn't seem to be any different than the practice of necromancy, mm. communicating with the dead. Um, Bethel, uh, Bethel, people from Bethel have taken part in what are called destiny card readings, which I show in articles on my blog are uh, really no different than tarot cards. Um, and there's an organization named Christ Alignment out of Australia uh, that that promotes these destiny card readings, and people from Bethel were working with them. And, um, and they actually compared, they likened the cards, their destiny cards, to tarot cards oh. on the Christ Alignment website. I actually show that in my blog article. I screen capture it. After this was brought to people's attention, and uh, then they removed, they scrubbed their website to the references to tarot cards. Mm. But I actually have screen captures of mm. of the original site um, that people can see on my blog. But um, but so these they would use these cards and and to make predictions about people's future, even though they denied that the cards were predictive. Um, and so, um, that, that's one thing, um, that their prophesy, their practices to prophesy are the ones that really mirror, mirror like psychic and, and occultic right. practices a lot. Um, and we go through a number of those other ones like that in our book. Also grave soaking, um, you know, students at Bethel church and leaders actually at Bethel church, including, uh, Bill Johnson's own wife, Benny Johnson, who passed away recently, uh, and a former pastor named um, Ben Fitzgerald, they would actually go to the grave sites of deceased prophets and miracle workers and lay on the graves or lean against the graves, seeking to um, soak up the miraculous powers that were supposedly still like in the, the bones of the deceased miracle workers mm. uh, who were buried there. And so this practice is known as, as grave soaking or, or grave sucking. And Bethel Church has denied that they ever promoted or encouraged this practice. But the thing is, you can go online, anyone can go online and quickly find pictures of, of Bethel's students and, and leaders taking part in this practice. And people who attended the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, um, this is actually a three-year training program for where young people go to learn to become miracle workers. They'll say 
that that yeah, this practice was was taught to and promoted to students at the school. Wow. Um, one story that broke my heart and I think became uh, so widespread, we heard about this all over the country, is the story of this little girl, this little two-year-old named Olive, uh, daughter of one of the worship leaders. She died in her sleep. Um, but, you know, the circus that ensued I thought was shocking and tragic and just should never have taken place. But they insisted that she would rise from the dead. Holly, tell us a little bit about that. How many days did they wait promising that this little girl would rise from the dead? I mean, the pain of losing that daughter is one thing. But then to compound it with this national watch to see if she will rise from the dead, I, I'm just I'm just dumbfounded by that. Um, Holly, tell us, do you know any more about that? Or, or how, yeah. how, how destructive, we've talked about destructive things. This is definitely destructive to people's faith and family privacy. Yeah, so in December 2019, this, this two-year-old daughter, Olive, uh, daughter of a worship leader there, passed away um, in her sleep. And, you know, tragic story. is That's every parent's worst nightmare. And um, But, um, you know, instead of planning a funeral for her, like most people would have done, um, the parents decided, uh, and Bethel Church decided, that they were going to enlist uh, the followers of Bethel Church worldwide to join them in declaring uh, that this little girl would be raised from the dead. And just so people know, in NAR, the most powerful form of prayer is um, called declaration prayer. And they believe that through prayer declarations, believers have the power to create reality. So we can heal the sick, uh, raise the dead, create prosperity through our spoken word. And so that's what they were seeking to do was to make these declarations that would raise all of from the dead. And and so they held services at the church uh, where they were making these declarations. People were on stage, you know, and in the audience jumping and shouting for all of to wake up and to come out of the grave and making these prayer declarations. The story was picked up by national media. Um, it was covered very closely. Uh, worship leaders from other well-known churches like Hillsong, Carrie uh, uh, Job, these worship leaders were actually going on their social media and urging people to join Bethel in declaring a resurrection for this little girl. And, you know, six days went by and she, she was not resurrected. And so then Bethel church, you know, had to admit that, that the declarations had failed and that they were, you know, now going to plan a funeral for her. Um, But then the interesting thing is after, after this happened, when they issued their press release to the media, they tried to make it sound like that it was that they had just been praying like Christians normally pray. Like we ask God, if it's your will, God, will you please raise her from the dead? They were trying to act like they were engaging in petitionary prayer, making mm. requests of God. And when actually what in fact they were doing was engaging in declaration prayer, which was declaring that God would raise her from the dead, which is a very different thing. Um, so one thing for your listeners to be alert to in NAR is this practice of making prayer declarations and the fact that in NAR they think that's a more powerful way to pray than asking God to do something if it's his will. Um, that's the biblical form of prayer. If it's your will, God, will you please do this or that, right? But Scripture does not anywhere teach the idea that through our spoken words we can make declarations mm-hmm. that create reality. Mm-hmm. Thank you for explaining that. I know, too, that um, churches like this, and this goes back to Kansas City Prophets, when they talk about prophesying, they talk about practicing, that they don't have it all down yet. But when they talk about prophesying, they also prophesy over families. I know this happened in Kansas City. This was one of the 
big, big problems. People change their lives. They change the trajectory of their lives uh, over prophecies that were given over them. Does Bethel do this as well? I don't hear too much about that, but you can really, um, really upend and actually destroy people's lives through these false prophecies. Does, does Bethel um, engage in that too? Well, yeah, prophets in, in NAR um, claim that, you know, they have the authority to give if, uh, prophecies that direct churches, um, okay. but also that direct individuals, um, including families. And so um, the people in this movement will often feel like that they cannot make any major life decision uh, without first consulting a prophet. So they can't move to another city. They can't switch jobs. Mm. They can't have children or even know how, they can't even discipline their children um, without first consulting a prophet. And and so it really creates a dependence on an unhealthy dependence on the prophets in this movement. Um, people become paralyzed uh, that they can't do anything without first consulting a prophet. And many people have actually followed the what prophets have told them to do. And it's, you know, it's um, led to real harm in their lives as well. So yes, they do they do claim the prophets in this movement do claim to have that type of authority. Wow. So much that we could be talking about and I know that you paid a visit to Bethel. We have about six or seven minutes left. I don't know if you wanna just tell us a little bit about that or or is there something else that you want to leave people with who may be struggling with uh, family members who are off into Bethel uh, and NAR teachings and maybe not even aware of it. Where where would you like to go for the last five or six minutes? Yeah, yeah, I did I did go to Bethel, and I share that story in Counterfeit Kingdom if people want to read about that in depth. But I observed firsthand uh, them claiming that they were teaching people how to prophesy, and and um, it, uh, I kind of share the, the things I observed there that day of, of people that were claimed to be drunk in the spirit and, you know, in their Sunday school class, and um, or they were drunk in the spirit, you know, they... Um, and claim to be learning to prophesy and, and all of that. But if people want to hear that, read that story, they can do that in Counterfeit Kingdom. But yeah, for people who have loved ones that are caught up in this movement, um, what I would say is, um, they, first of all, um, they should seek to educate their loved ones about this movement. If they approach their loved one, like I said, their loved one might not even know they're part of the New Apostolic Reformation. That's okay. They don't have to use the term New Apostolic Reformation. The real issue is do they hold to the core teachings? And so they can talk to their loved one and gently, gently challenge them with Scripture and ask them, you know, if you believe that, um, you know, these things about apostles and prophets, where can you find support? for that mm-hmm. in scripture and they should be prepared that that their loved one may point to verses in scripture that they believe support NAR teachings because uh the people in this movement have been taught to use verses out of context right and so it's very important to know how they misuse verses um and we we explain all this in our books including counterfeit kingdom but but they, they how they'll use verses out of context, and it's important for people to know what the proper context is, okay. and to be able to gently explain that to their loved ones how verses are being misused. Misused. Yes. Okay. Um, sadly, a lot of times people in this movement, their loved ones won't have uh, cut them off. They won't even talk to them mm. um, because it's it's cult like in that sense, where where apostles and prophets will tell people to stay away from people who question us or challenge us, challenge our teachings. And so in that case, it may be, they may not even be able to talk to their loved one, but of course they can always pray for their loved one, pray that their eyes will be opened, 
pray for an opportunity to speak to them. And the truth is that people in this movement will often uh, become find a time when they become disillusioned because the promises of the apostles and prophets aren't panning out. Um, they're not developing miraculous powers like they were told they would, mm-hmm. or, or they're mm-hmm. not receiving healing that they were promised. And then at that time, uh, when they become disillusioned with the apostles and prophets, they may actually become more receptive to listening to the concerns of their okay. loved ones. And so, so their loved ones can kind of learn more about NAR, become equipped, so that when their loved one is, is willing to, to finally listen to the concerns, then they'll be ready to yeah. talk to them. Yeah. Well, all great, great things for the listener to take with them. Um, I consider a, an Orthodox church uh, as a church that has a healthy fear of the Lord. They don't go beyond what is written, understanding the whole counsel of God within Orthodoxy. I, you know, is this a Christian church? I mean, I know that's a loaded question for just a couple minutes left to go, but some people have called Bethel a cult. Uh, it, and, and yet we can't really say that every people there are not saved or have a relationship with Jesus. It's so, Holly, it's so hard to draw the line here, somewhere between cult and Christian church. Um, like I said, we just have a couple of minutes. How do you describe them as a church? Yeah, so so Doug and I have not referred to NAR as a cult. Um, okay. There's different definitions of the word cult. In a theological sense, a, a cult is a group that claims to be Christian, but they deny essential Christian doctrines, okay. like the deity of Christ or the Trinity. So that okay. would be like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Those groups are cults in that theological sense. We have not called Bethel Church or, or NAR a cult okay. in that sense. Uh, we do not see that they've promoted any um, outright heresy. However, we do believe that many teachings in NAR are, are aberrant. That means that they're very dangerous and, and okay. pose a great danger to those who embrace them. Wow. And um, so aberrant teachings are still very serious. There's some yes. serious error and need to be taken very seriously. Now, there's a sociological definition of the word cult that often like is used in the media uh, when they talk about like Scientologists or something like that. And what that definition is is more it refers to leaders who claim to exert extreme authority and control okay. over their followers. Okay. And in that sense, uh, in our churches, um, in Bethel, there are cult-like tendencies in the sociological okay. sense. And many people who've been part of Bethel and our churches will say, yeah, it was cult-like in the sense that that we felt completely um, controlled by the mm-hmm. leaders of this this movement mm-hmm. and their teachings. Okay. Well, that's very, very health, healthy. Um, healthy, yes. Healthy and helpful. And we appreciate all of your incredible research uh, for such a time as this because we need to know this is a, a global movement. Uh, we even have like the National Day of Prayer, uh, which is getting hijacked every year. Evangelicalism uh, seems to have been infiltrated. They're calling it a reformation. So uh, just the listener out there, be careful. Uh, if you see these signs of these things, get the books. Um, if you see signs of these things, do your homework so that you actually can pick up on buzzwords and practices um, of NAR. Holly, thank you so much for your time. I know, like I said, you're a busy gal. We really appreciate you. Oh, thanks so much, Mary. Thanks, Crash. Great talking with you. Yeah. God bless. All right, hollypivic.com, and uh, you want to go there for the research. Also, comments at Stand Up For The Truth. If you want to comment on today or any day's podcast, even if it's a, a replay, please let us know what you think. If you have questions or comments, uh, we would love that. So Monday, Pastor Randy White, that's a replay. Tuesday, Pastor Andy Woods. We also have Jeff Solwald next week. So praise the Lord. Stay with us next week for some more great guests. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a great day on purpose.